Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. We are continuing in our series, The Book of Acts, and um, it's been an incredible series. We are on on part number 30 of this series. I've never preached a 30-part series in my life, but I've thoroughly enjoyed preaching it, and I've learned a whole lot about the Word, as I hope and pray that you have as well. And more than learning it, I hope you've applied many of these things to your life and are living these things out. But if you've missed any part of this series, it, it builds chapter by chapter. We're going through the book of Acts chapter by chapter. And as you can tell, we've taken multiple weeks on certain chapters and we've done multiple chapters in a week. And so, but if you've missed any of those weeks, you can go to our website, OurSaviorsChurch.com forward slash Broussard, and you can download any of those messages you might have missed, or you can simply take a picture of the QR code on the back screen and it'll take you right to our messages. Now, Last week, we were privileged to have Dr. Josh McDowell with us, and he spoke on relationships. And I just want to say this again. I put this out on on Facebook, but if you came because you were expecting a marriage message, we apologize. I apologize. I own that. There were some some cross wires. He spoke on relationships, but he didn't speak on the marriage relationship. And so, but we will have plenty of messages that are coming out about the marriage relationship. But let me just say this. If you really, if you came last week looking for a marriage message, I want to encourage you to do something. Something even better than coming and hearing a marriage message is to find a healthy marriage and to walk with those people. That's, that is a, they're going to model for you. Listen to me, not perfect, because there's no such thing as a perfect marriage. My parents' marriage was perfect. Okay, well, then they lied to you. And they just close the door every time they argue. That's what that was. But if you want, if you're really seeking, man, my marriage is, what, what do I do? Find a healthy marriage and walk with those people. Ask them questions because that's a message that keeps on giving, right? And so walk with those people. I just want to encourage you to do that. But if we will continue to have messages on marriage and we'll have some coming up here this year. But we left off the week before last in Acts chapter 23 talking about the Apostle Paul being imprisoned in Jerusalem. Now, if you're new with us and you're wondering, the Apostle Paul, Pastor Gabe, tell me about that. So the Apostle Paul was, of course, on the road to Damascus. Jesus showed up, transformed his life. He became, he was, he went from being one of the greatest persecutors of the church to one of the greatest spokesmen, ambassadors for the church. And he spread the gospel, the message, the good news of Jesus all throughout the Gentile world. And he was out preaching and had three different tours of preaching the gospel in the Gentile nations. And he went back to Jerusalem and was imprisoned by his own people. That's where we left off last week in Acts chapter 23. This man who traveled the world bringing the good news goes back to the original place of the gospel where the church was actually birthed in Jerusalem and the Jewish people imprisoned him and put him in jail. And we kind of left off with a question, a big question about that. Because on Paul's way to Jerusalem, He'd received multiple prophecies from people. One from a great prophet named Agabus, others from just people in the congregations who saw by the Holy Spirit something that was coming in Paul's life. They warned Paul that if you go to Jerusalem, you will be imprisoned. And so the question could be asked, did Paul miss God when he went to prison? Did Paul miss God when he bypassed those prophecies and he actually went to Jerusalem? Did he miss God? I don't think he missed God at all. And I'll tell you why I don't think he missed God. I think Paul understood something that many of us as Christians have a hard time understanding. And that's this. Just because I'm a Christian, it doesn't mean that everything in life is going to be easy. I think he understood that. He didn't confuse comfort with the will of God. 
And he didn't confuse going through a hard time with God's disapproval. He knew what God's will was for him. How do I know that? The proof is in the very next verse, the very first verse that we're going to start with in Acts chapter 23, verse 11. He's hearing these prophecies from all of these people. If you go, Paul, to Jerusalem, this is what's going to happen. You're going to be put in prison. Don't go. Paul knew something. Paul knew that those prophecies came to predict. They didn't come to detour him. They didn't come to warn him to not go. They came to tell him this is what's going to happen. When the people were saying, Paul, don't go, that was them saying don't go. That wasn't God saying don't go. God was simply warning him of what was coming. And Paul willingly took on the challenge and said, I'm going to go anyway. And this is what God says to him. Acts chapter 23, 23 verse 11. That night while he's in prison, because he had just been in prison by the Jewish people. That night the Lord appeared to Paul and said, be encouraged, Paul. Just as you have been a witness to me here in Jerusalem, you you must preach the good news in Rome as well. Jesus shows up to him and tells him, essentially, this is how I see this, good job. You preached the gospel in Jerusalem to a group of people who absolutely hated you. And now I'm going to give you the thing that was in your heart. I'm going to allow you to go to Rome, the very center of the world, and preach the gospel there. So Paul didn't miss God. Paul was right in the middle of God's will, even when people did not understand it. Paul's goal was to get to Rome, and it ends up happening. But here's where things start to change for us. And for Paul, Paul had the freedom to go places. Now, listen, everywhere he went, he got beat up. Everywhere he went, he got put in prison, but he was, he was constantly getting out and he was able to plant churches and, and build the kingdom. But in this instance, this is the last believed time. Most people believe this was the very last time that Paul was going to be a free man. There was a brief stint where some scholars believe that he got out of prison for a little while, but quickly got put right back in. This was the last time this was going to happen for Paul. The Lord encouraged Paul and gave him a promise. And this is a promise that he held on to. What was the promise? You're going to preach the good news, Paul, in Rome. Now, I don't know about you, but there have been seasons in my life where I feel like I had a promise for God and that promise gets fulfilled, but it doesn't get fulfilled the way that I thought it was going to get fulfilled. How many of you can honestly say that's happened in your life? I thought it was going to happen this way. I made my plans thinking it was going to happen this way, but God fulfilled on his word, but it didn't look anything like I thought it was going to. God is sovereign. God is, God is always going to make good on his promises. One of my old pastors used to say it like this, God God is never early, but he's almost late a whole bunch. (laughs) God will always make good on his promises. And Paul held on to this promise from God that he was going to preach the gospel in Rome. But it makes me wonder if him getting this promise from God was a lot like when the angel showed up to Elijah, as some of you may remember in, in the book of, I believe it's First Kings, when he showed up to Elijah and said, hey, eat this bread. And Elijah starts eating the bread. And then he says, you need to eat more, eat more, because you're going to need this for the journey that you're going on. You don't have enough strength without this bread to go on the journey that you're going on. In our lives, I believe God gives us, as Hananiah Always, uh, he and I talk, he has a way of saying it was a God wink. Those moments where God just kind of gives you something to encourage you that he's with you. I believe that's what God gave to Paul in this moment. Paul, you're in prison, but you're going to preach the gospel in Rome. I'm going to give you the desire of your heart. It's going to happen. And it sustained him. For those of you who have a promise from God, Hold on to it. Hold on to it. If you've ever received the prophecy, if you've heard from God in your prayer time, if the word of God has very clearly and plainly given you a promise, do not let go of that. Hold on to it. 
Now, a lot of times people go, well, I don't know if I can trust the promises of God. I believe sometimes people say that because they take something that was never a promise given by God and they hold on to it like it was. God never promised you everything would go well. God never promised you would not lose people that you love. God never promised you would never have to hear a bad report from a doctor. What God promised you is trouble. Jesus told his disciples, in this world, you will have trouble. But then he also promised, take heart, I'm going to be with you. And I want to tell you the whole theme, the whole title of this message this morning is majority rules. What am I saying? God plus you is always the majority. Doesn't matter what you're facing. God plus you is always the majority. Let's keep going. Verse 12, the next morning, a group of Jews got together and bound themselves with an oath not to eat or drink until they had killed Paul. That's called stupid. <laughs> this is how messed up these, these religious zealots were in this day. They made a vow to God to kill a man sent by God. It doesn't make much sense, but that's, that was, that's what happened. They made a vow to God to kill a man of God. Now, let me just say this as a side note. Be careful who you attack and slander. Be careful of, people, of the people that you find very easy to criticize because you might find yourself in a place where you're criticizing someone that God is using. Be very careful of that. Verse 13, there were more than 40 of them in the conspiracy. They went to the leading priests and elders and told them, we have bound ourselves with an oath, oath to eat nothing until we have killed Paul again. I, so you and the high, high council should ask the commander to bring Paul back to the council again. Pretend that you want to examine his case more fully. We will kill him on the way. So there's these 40 men and they're essentially saying, they're going to the high council, go tell the Roman government that you want to talk to Paul again. And when the Roman government brings Paul back to you, we'll kill him on the way. And the high council, these religious leaders agree to this corrupt plan. They agree to it. Now, let me make a point here. Just because someone agrees with you doesn't make you right. There will, if you want to do the wrong thing, there will always be people around you who are convincing you that it's the right thing. Wisdom is not just having a bunch of voices speaking into your life. That's called chaos. Wisdom is having the right voices speaking into your life. Somebody had an idea and 39 other men said, that's a good idea. It was an ungodly, horrible plan. Don't just have voices in your life. For some of you, that's a big deal. Don't let anybody tell anything to you. Don't just have voices in your life. Have the right voices in your life. Have the voices in your life who fear God. Have the voices in your life who love you enough to cross your will to tell you what's right and what's wrong. Sometimes we get very, I don't want people in my business. Okay, I get it. I understand that. But sometimes God places people in your life who get in your business so that really it's him getting in your business, pointing out, that's not okay. That's hurting you. That's hurting those around you. You don't even see it. And God has a way of humbling us by putting people in our lives who we definitely don't want to hear from. And they'll be the very ones who tell you the truth that nobody else was willing to tell you. Have the right voices in your life. Verse 16. But Paul's nephew, his sister's son, heard of their plan and went to the fortress and told Paul. Paul called for one of the Roman officials, excuse me, officers and said, take this young man to the commander. He has something important to tell you. Now the enemy always has a plan, but so does God. And the enemy's plan here was to kill Paul. 
But God, in his divine sovereignty, in God's um, omniscience, in God's omnipotence, God is everywhere. He knows everything. God happened to have Paul's nephew in the very council where they're talking about this. Now, Paul was from Tarsus. He wasn't from Jerusalem, but somehow Paul's sister happens to be in Jerusalem. And somehow that sister's son happens to be in the very place where he can find out what the plan of the enemy is against Paul. And he goes to Paul and he tells them this. God had a plan the whole time. God knew what he was doing the whole time. Your destination isn't determined by the attacks against you. It's determined by God and your obedience to his will. You getting to the place that you feel God has called you to, listen, the enemy's attack can't stop that. It won't stop that. The thing that will stop that is when you get off track and stop following God. So important. We give way too much credit to the devil. The devil ruined my life. No, you followed him. It's true. And listen, I'm, I'm not saying that, I'm, I'm, please hear my heart, I'm not saying that in a mean way because there's been stupid things in my life that have gotten me off track that I've faced consequences for. I don't want that for you. If we, the safest place that we can be is in the will of God. That's the safest place we can, when the enemy comes, when the attacks come, listen, when people slander you, when people are talking bad about you, when I don't like this person and I, it's hard for me to deal with them, the safest place you can be is following Jesus. Why? Because God plus you is always the majority. It's always the majority. Now, we also see something interesting here. Paul was a Roman citizen which we talked about that, I believe it was a couple weeks ago, we talked about that because he was a Roman citizen, he had certain rights that the average Jewish person didn't have. He just, this is how big God is. He just happened to be born in a place that gave him the right of being a Roman citizen. God knew, fast forward all of these years, maybe 35, 40 years, however Paul, Paul was at this point, that him being a Roman citizen was going to be exactly what he needed to deal with this situation. God can use where you're from. God can use how you grew up. God is big. He knows what he's doing if we trust him and we follow him. And so Paul was a Roman citizen. Why am I making a big deal of this? Because Paul was able to call for one of the officers and say, hey, go, go take my nephew to the commander. If Paul was just a normal Jewish guy, they probably would have said, Paul, shut up and go back into your cell. But because he was a Roman citizen, he had certain rights and privileges. He could call for an officer and they had to listen to what he was asking of them. And so he tells, this, he tells this Roman guy, this Roman officer to go get the commander. Verse 18. So the officer did, explaining, Paul the prisoner called me over and asked me to bring this young man to you because he has something to tell you. The commander took his hand, led him aside and asked, what is it you want to tell me? Paul's nephew told him, some Jews are going to ask you to bring Paul, my uncle, before the high council tomorrow, pretending they want to get some more information, but don't do it. There are more than 40 men hiding along the way, ready to ambush him. They have vowed not to eat or drink anything until they've killed him. They are ready now, just waiting for your consent. Don't let anyone know you told me this, the commander warned the young man. Verse 23. Then the commander called two of his officers and ordered 200 soldiers ready to leave for Caesarea at nine o'clock tonight. Also, take 200 spearmen and 70 mounted troops, provide horses for Paul to ride and get him safely to Governor Felix. Here's this Jewish man, a born again Christian arrested by his own people. His own people are trying to kill him. And now the very nation that his people hated are now surrounding Paul and protecting him and, hand, and literally bringing him to the governor. 
that's just an ironic picture for me from Paul being the minority to Paul being the majority. He's surrounded by 200 soldiers, 200 men with spears, 70 men on, on horses, all for one man. This is God's protection. Now, again, God has a sovereign plan. And God is in the middle of all of this. When God is ready to turn the heart, because Paul is going there with an agenda to preach the gospel. He's not just going there to make a defense. We're going to see that in a moment. He's ready to preach the gospel. I keep saying this, but you've, you've got to get this. God is sovereign, meaning he is in control of all circumstances at all times. Does the enemy have a plan? Yes, but God also has one. Do we have free will? Absolutely we have free will. But that does not take away from God's divine sovereignty. God is so sovereign that when he is ready to build up a nation like he did Rome, he can. And when he is ready to destroy a nation like Rome, he can. Even the nations bow their knee before our God. That's the God that we serve. That's why we pray for our country because we know the only thing that can save our nation is God. That's why we pray. So we continue to pray. Verse 25, then he wrote this letter to the governor from Claudius Lysias to his excellency, Governor Felix. Greetings. This man was seized, talking about Paul. This man was seized by some Jews and they were about to kill him when I arrived with the troops. When I learned that he was a Roman citizen, I removed him to safety. Then I took him to their high council to try to learn the basis of, accusation, of the accusations against him. I soon discovered the charge was something regarding their religious law, certainly nothing worthy of imprisonment or death. But when I was informed of a plot to kill him, I immediately sent him to you. I have told his accusers to bring their charges before you. So here's Paul going with these men on a 60-mile journey to Caesarea. They're walking Paul on a 60-mile journey to bring him safely to the governor of this region. And when Paul stands before him, it's amazing to see what he does and how God uses him in this moment. But it's reminiscent of something that Jesus told his disciples. Jesus told his followers that this was going to happen. And this is how he told them how to handle it in the book of Matthew chapter 10, verse 18. Jesus said to my followers, you want a promise? Here you go. You will stand trial before governors and kings because you are my followers. But this will be, don't miss this. This will be your opportunity to tell the rulers and other believers and unbelievers about me. Paul did exactly that. And please hear me as I say this. I'm not, I'm not trying to tell you that life is supposed to be hard. That life is supposed to always be unnecessarily hard. What I'm trying to get you to see is just because things get rough, it doesn't mean God's left you. Just because you face a trial, it doesn't mean God's abandoned you or God's not real or God's not there. He is and he's with you and he will carry you and there are moments of incredible breakthrough in your life. But never confuse a challenge with the lack of God. Never confuse those things. I'll talk about that a little bit more in a moment. But I don't want to get ahead of myself. But Paul was getting ready to stand before these rulers of the greatest nation in the world. And he's going to shoot a shot. He's going to shoot a shot. Verse 31. So that night, as ordered, the soldiers took Paul as far as Antipatris. They returned to the fortress the next morning while the mounted troops took him on to Caesarea. When they arrived in Caesarea, they presented Paul and, excuse me, and the letter to Governor Felix. He read it and then asked Paul what province he was from. Silica, Paul answered, not Cecilia. <laughs> Silica. I will hear your case myself when your, ac your accusers arrive. The governor told him. Then the governor ordered him kept in the prison at Herod's headquarters. 
Now this place, Herod's headquarters, otherwise called um, Herod's Praetorium, I believe Herod's Praetorium is the, the way you say it. This was like a federal prison. This was not like a, this was almost like the country club of prisons. This was a place where Herod would, had built his place and he would visit there and, and some believe this is where Herod even stayed. So this was not like a horrible, in a dungeon. They put Paul in a favorable place, even a favorable prison. But nonetheless, he's rejected by his own people, brought into the heart of the Roman Empire, and he's gonna stay in trial and, and he's gonna have the opportunity to preach before Roman leaders. But it's, I'm sure it's not at all the way he expected that it was going to happen. Which is why I said what I said earlier. How many of you have ever found yourself in a place where God is making good on his promise, but it just doesn't look like how you thought it was going to look? What do you do in those moments? Trust him. Trust him. You trust that his will for you is better than your will for you. You trust that his plan for you is so much better than your plan for you. Because he does have a plan if we will follow him. He didn't think it was going to happen this way, but nonetheless, it did. We don't always understand God's plan. Most of the time, you will not understand God's plan. But if you wait and you follow, one day you'll look back and you'll go, thank God I did. Thank God I did. God, thank God I stayed when I could have left. God, thank God I left when I wanted to stay. God, thank you I didn't kill them. <laughs> because now they're adults and they're no longer teenagers. God, thank you for your faithfulness to me. Thank you, God, I didn't date her. <laughs> Come on. Can we get honest? God, thank you I didn't marry him. God has a plan if we're willing to follow it. Chapter 24, verse 1. Five days later, Ananias, the high priest, priest, arrived with some of the Jewish elders and the lawyer Tertullus to present their case against Paul, the governor. When Paul was called in, Tertullus presented the charges against Paul in the following address to the governor. You have provided a long period of peace for us Jews with, for, with foresight, having enacted reforms for us. So I want you to see this. The Jewish leaders, they come lawyered up. They are ready. They have their guy here ready to represent them and accuse Paul. And they're standing before a man named Felix, the governor named Felix. Now, the name Felix is Latin for the word happy. So we get Feliz Navidad, right? Happy. This was not a happy man. This was a very corrupt man. A very lustful, angry, hate-filled, torturous, corrupt governor. As a matter of fact, history tells us, um, a, a historian by the name of Tacitus tells us that this man was once a slave in the Roman Empire. He went from being a slave to becoming a governor of the region of Judea. Now, Tacitus, is, is, he says something along the lines of, even though, he was a, even though he was a ruler, he still kept the mindset in the heart of a slave. And so this man was a, he never, never got over that hump. He was a wicked man, a corrupt man. A thief, a crook, and we're going to see how this plays itself out. How did he become a governor? Well, the emperor Claudius, the Caesar Claudius, had a man in his court by the name of Paulus. And Paulus just happened to be the brother of Felix. Paulus was a favorite man. Not only did Claudius love him, but the next emperor, Nero, loved him. Many of you guys have heard of Nero. They loved this man, Paulus. And so they did Paulus a favor by putting his brother, who was once a slave, in a position of power. And they sent him to a place that nobody wanted to go, Judea. Because the Romans had a very, very hard time governing these Jewish people. 
because they were always, they were independent. They were always trying to do things according to their religious law. And so not many of the leaders there made it. So they took this former slave and made him the governor of this place. And this is also the man, if you, if you remember the term governor of Judea, that's what Pilate was, the man that Jesus stood before. So Felix was the man who replaced Pilate. And so this is the man that Paul is getting ready to stand up in front of and have to give his defense to. And these high priests and their, their people and they got their lawyers. This does not look like a good situation for Paul. But once again, God plus you is always the majority. Doesn't matter what the circumstances are. Doesn't matter what you're facing. Verse three, for all of this, your excellency, we are very grateful. This is the lawyer, Tertullus. We are very grateful to you, but I don't want to bore you. So please give me your attention for a moment. You can see he's kissing up big time. I mean, like he's brown nosing like nobody's business. All right. We have found this man to be a troublemaker who is constantly stirring up riots among the Jews all over the world. He is a ringleader of the cult. Isn't it funny how when a church is actually doing God's will, you get called a cult? It's food for thought. All right. The cult known as the Nazarenes. Now, let me stop there. Nazarenes, not like the Nazareth, the Nazarite vow like we've talked about in the book of Acts a couple other times. They called them the Nazarenes because Jesus was from Nazareth. And if you remember, that was also an insult. They weren't called Christians. Most of them weren't called Christians. That was starting to get spread out. But even the term Christian was a negative term. They called you a Christian to insult you in that day. They called them a Nazarenes, the Nazarenes, to insult you. Why? Because a man once even hearing about Jesus said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? So calling them the Nazarenes was an insult to them. Nazarenes were like, can, any, can anything good come out of Potage? Where are you from? Catahoula. Come on, that's right. You be proud of your Catahoula heritage. That's right. <laughs> oh my gosh. I wish y'all heard him. He said he may be knocked down, but we're going to get back up. I got the microphone, man of God. Okay. <laughs> now, this is basically what they were saying. They were saying, you're from a small town area. Can anything good come from there? So them calling the, them Nazarenes was an insult. Verse six, furthermore, he was trying to desecrate, talking about Paul, he was trying to desecrate the temple when we arrested him. You can find out the truth of our accusations by examining him yourself. Then the other Jews chimed in and declared that everything Tertullus was saying was true. Basically, they're going, yeah, 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 what he said. Yeah, he, what he said is good. This, these were baseless accusations. They didn't even have a case and the man that they're standing before knew they did not have a case. The man who wrote the letter to him, the commander knew they didn't have a case, but they're trying to grab anything they can to imprison Paul. Verse 10, the governor then motioned for Paul to speak. Paul said, I know, sir, that you have been a judge of the Jewish affairs for many years, so I gladly present my defense before you. You can quickly discover that I arrived in Jerusalem no more than 12 days ago to worship at the temple. In other words, how can I cause trouble? I haven't even been here. I've only been here for less than two weeks. My accusers never found me arguing with anyone in the temple, nor stirring up a riot in any synagogue or on the streets of the city. These men cannot prove the things they are accusing me of doing. Now, how does the enemy work even in your life? accusations. He stirs up other people around you to accuse you of things that they can't prove. But we live in a day and time that our emotions get the best of us. And yeah, 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 what he said. Yeah, what she said. Yeah, what they said. Paul's going, they can't prove a thing. I didn't, it's not true. The best place that you can be again is in the will of God and in living in truth. When you live a life of truth, you don't have to remember your lies. 
When you live a life of truth, you can just say yes or no. You don't have to say, I promise, I swear before God, I didn't. Listen, Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. If you're a person of truth and a person of character, you can go, yep or nope. Accusations are going to come. They're going to come. But if you live your life in truth, they can't stick. They can't stick. Verse 14, but I admit that I follow the way, which they call a cult. A cult. I worship the God of our ancestors and I firmly believe the Jewish law and everything written in the prophets. I have the same hope in God that these men have, that he will raise both the righteous and the unrighteous. Because of this, I always try to maintain a clear conscience before God and all the people. This is what Christians were called. I'm not standing for the sake of time. We're going to keep going. But they were, they called themselves followers of the way. They were known as amongst, in the Christian circles, we are followers of the way. Why? Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So Paul is saying, they're accusing me of being in a cult, but I have the exact same belief as them. But I've seen the fulfillment of what they're believing for. They're waiting for the Messiah. I know him. He's come, and they were too blind to see it. But then he goes on to say something I think is so powerful. He says, I have a clear conscience. Church, let me just tell you, the best medicine that you can ever take is a clear conscience. And this is cliche, but I'm going to say it anyway. The best pillow to sleep on at night is a clear conscience. When you know I've done the best that I can, I followed God to the best of my ability. When I've, when I've messed up, I've asked his forgiveness, I've repented, and I've moved forward. You can go to bed with a clear conscience. But when guilt and shame is nagging at you, it makes a horrible night's sleep. Paul is able to say, I didn't come here to cause trouble. I came here with a clear conscience to preach the gospel, to preach the good news. And I hope and pray and want this for you to be able to say the same thing. I have a clear conscience. Verse 17, after several years away, I returned to Jerusalem with money to aid my people. I came here to help the Jewish people. I, I raised money from the Gentile churches to bring money to my people. And they put me in prison. My accuser saw me in the temple as I was completing a purification ceremony. There was no crowd around me and no rioting. But some Jews from the province of Asia were there. And they ought to be here to bring charges if they have anything against me. Ask these men here what crime the Jewish high council found me guilty of. Except for the one, I shout, the, the one time I shouted out, I am on trial before you today because I believe in the resurrection of the dead. We talked about that two weeks ago. Paul knew that they were divided, Pharisees and Sadducees. They, some believed in the resurrection of the dead and angels and demons. Some believed all of that was, was hogwash. And Paul brought that up. He said, I'm here because of the resurrection of the dead. And they were so tense and fighting all the time, sounds like 2020, that they just divided in that moment and almost forgot about Paul. Paul said, the only thing I could think of that I could be guilty of is I made him fight. Because I told them that I believed in the resurrection of the dead. Paul's saying, I brought, I came to bring help. And it wasn't the Jewish Christians that did this. It was the Jewish, just the Jewish people who didn't believe in Jesus, who put me in this prison, though I came to help. One thing about darkness is darkness hates light. And those men were living in darkness you're going to find yourself, church, at times when people just don't like you for no apparent reason. Some of you have experienced that already. They have no basis for hating you, no reason why they don't like you. They just don't like you. And when you're younger and immature, you're really concerned about that. But the more you grow in Christ, you realize, oh, well, <laughs> I'm going to love them anyway. I'm going to love them anyway. They can talk about me. I'm going to bless them. They can curse me. I'm going to bless them. And when you bless them, God takes care of them. 
It, it, it comes out of your hands and into his hands. Paul said, I had a clear conscience. Let's keep going. At that point, Felix, who was quite familiar, it's so important, quite familiar with the way, adjourned the hearing and said, wait until Lysias, the garrison commander, arrives. Then I will decide on the case. He ordered an officer to keep Paul in custody, but to give him some freedoms and allowed his friends to visit him and take care of him. Now, Felix was familiar with Christianity. How was Felix familiar with Christianity? I'll tell you how. This is what most of us believe. He was married to a woman named Drusilla. Drusilla happened to be the daughter of Herod Agrippa I. Drusilla's granddad was Herod the Great, who was the same Herod that went throughout Bethlehem killing the baby boys because he feared Jesus was coming. Her daddy was the same Herod that killed the apostle James. And it's ultimately the one that God sent an angel to strike dead. So she was familiar with Christianity, making him familiar with Christianity. Now again, talking about how wicked this man Felix was, this Drusilla was his third wife, and I'm closing soon, was his third wife. This was Drusilla's second marriage. Why is that important? Because I want you to see how corrupt this man was. After his second marriage, he went to Drusilla, who was married to a man, and he took Drusilla from that married couple. He was a lustful man who wanted what he wanted. Felix and Drusilla, this almost sounds like a soap opera. But Drusilla knew about Christianity, which is likely how Felix knew about Christianity. Verse 24, a few days later, Felix came back with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish. Standing, excuse me, sending for Paul, they listened as he told them about faith in Christ Jesus. As he resonated, excuse me, as he reasoned with them about righteousness and self-control and the coming day of judgment. Paul, I said this before, he's shooting a shot. He's got the leaders of his own people accusing him. He's standing before an unrighteous governor who's married to a woman whose dad and granddad were persecutors of Christianity. And he's standing there by himself. And not only does he defend himself, he preaches the gospel to them. And he doesn't just talk about God's love for them. He talks about God's judgment and God's righteousness. And don't think for a moment Paul didn't know what happened in their past. That Paul didn't know the type of man that Felix was. He didn't condemn Felix. Felix was already condemned. But he did tell him about God's love. He did tell him about God's plan, but he also told him about God's righteous judgment. He's preaching the gospel. He did exactly what Jesus told him to do. God plus you is always the majority. All of the odds were stacked up against this man, Paul, and this is how it ends. Felix became frightened. Catch that for a moment. Felix became frightened. This man who at the drop of a dime could have Paul executed became afraid. This man who had all of the backing of the Roman Empire with him, this man who could have made the Jews happy by doing this became afraid. Go away for now, he replied. When it is more convenient, I'll call for you again. He also hoped that Paul would bribe him So he sent for him quite often and talked with him. The fear of God came in this man. Why? Because even though the whole world was against Paul, God was with Paul. Hear me. Even if the whole world is against you, don't miss this. Look up here. Even if the whole world is against you, if God is for you, you have the majority. You have the majority. If he's for you, he is more than the whole world against you. 
Paul is proving this very promise from God as we read it. And I love Paul's faith and his boldness. He turns this horrible situation into an opportunity to glorify Jesus. This, is, this seems like a no-win situation, but it turns out to be a win-win situation. It seemed like he was in Felix's hands, but he wasn't. He was in God's hands. I'm going to end there. God plus you is always the majority. No matter what you're up against, no matter what odds, no matter who's mad at you, no matter who's upset with you, no matter what your kids are doing, no matter what your parents are doing, if you keep following him, you win. If you don't quit, you win. Some of you want to give up. Don't. Don't. Keep following him. Pastor, I want to give up on this old God. Ever since I started following God, it's been hard. God never promised it wouldn't be. But he promised he'd be with you. Keep going. You never know what's on the other side of your obedience. Keep fighting. Keep following. Keep going. Keep pursuing. I've tried to get connected in the church and nobody's connected with me. Keep trying. Maybe the right people, God has been putting you and situating you so that you're going to connect with the right people that you need. I've been trying to be a good wife. I've been trying to be a good husband. Don't try. Be one. We try and then we quit when it doesn't work in a month. When God the whole time is using that to transform you and to shape you. Let your pain shape you into what he's creating you to be. Follow him. God bless you is the majority. Verse 27, after two years, two years of sitting in that prison, two years Felix was succeeded by Porcius Festus. And because Felix wanted to gain favor with the Jewish people, he left Paul in prison. But don't think for a moment that Paul lost just because he sat in that prison for two years. How do I know that? Because as we read this, this man who had all of this power, we don't remember Felix as a great man. We remember Felix as standing before a great man. We don't name our children Caesar and Nero. We name our dogs that. But we name our sons Paul and Peter. Keep following. In the end, we win. Father, I thank you so much for your people. Thank you that you plus us is always the majority. Thank you for the things you're shaping in us. Thank you, God, for those knucklehead kids that we're believing you for. Thank you, God, for the spouse that we're praying for. Thank you, God, for that job situation that you've put us in, that we're struggling through. We trust you. God, sometimes that's all we can say. When we don't know what to say, we don't even know what to pray. I know I've prayed that. I trust you. I don't get it. I don't understand it. I don't see what's coming. I don't know what's going to happen. But I trust you. And your word tells us, Psalms 112, the righteous man does not fear bad news, but he confidently trusts you to care for him. I pray that you would put that spirit of trust and faith in your people today. That if we follow you, we can confidently trust you to care for us. We can confidently trust you to provide for us. We can confidently trust you to give, to be the God of breakthrough that you promised in your word you would be. Build the gift of faith and the spirit of faith in your people today. If you're here this morning and as I'm talking about this and you're honest with yourself, you would say, I'm not following him. Maybe you got off track and you need to repent. You need to turn. That's what that word means, to turn and go in the opposite direction. You need to lay some things at his feet and ask for his forgiveness. Or maybe you're here and you've never been born again. This is what Jesus said to a religious leader. He said, you can't even see the kingdom of heaven 
It's not just talking about heaven one day that we're going to go to, the kingdom of heaven here on the earth, the family of God. You can't even see that unless you're first born again. Do you hear you say, Pastor, I'm not born again. I'm not right with God. There's sin in my life and it separates me from God, but I want to be born again. I want to pray for you. And I want to lead you into prayer that's very simple. It's a process that's as easy as ABC. A, you admit that you're a sinner that the sin in your life that you need to get right with him. B, you believe. Believe what? That God sent Jesus to die on that cross for every sin you've ever committed. It's nothing that you've done that he can't wash clean. And then C, you confess. You confess that he is now your Lord. That he is now the boss and you're going to follow his ways. So with no one looking around, if that's you and you say, Pastor, I want to be born again today. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. It's not the words that are going to save you. It's the Holy Spirit, your surrendered heart, and the grace of Almighty God that's going to save you. If that's you, lift up your hand on the count of three. One, two, three. If that's you, if you say, Pastor, this is me. I want to be born again. Thank you, sir. I see your hand. Anyone else? You say, this is my moment. I want to be born again. Don't be afraid. Lift it up high. Thank you, ma'am. I see your hand. Anyone else? Thank you, buddy. Praise God. Anyone else? This is my moment. I want to be right with him. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I see your hands. Thank you. I see your hand. Thank you. You can put him down. Church, let's pray this prayer out loud together. With the family of God, say this verse with me. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you are the son of God. I believe on the cross. You died for my sin, for my guilt, and for my shame. I believe you faced hell for me so I would not have to go. And you rose again from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on this earth, and a relationship with the Father. I turn and repent of my sin and I choose to follow you. And from this moment on, God, you're my father. Jesus, you're my savior. Holy Spirit, you're my helper. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, church, let's celebrate with everybody that prayed that prayer. Yes.